if there's any fans of Simon Sinek, you know, the idea of starting with why or uh, conveying core purpose, that's where I think real stories of real people told through motion picture can really do what, what no other medium can. Greetings, and welcome to Content That Moves, the podcast from brand storytelling and credo nonfiction, where it's my distinct pleasure to interview the brightest minds in branded content creation who are out there telling the stories that make you actually feel something on behalf of brands. I'm your host, Jesse Raisler, the founder of Credo Nonfiction, where we partner with brands to find and tell stories that reveal brand purpose and deepen brand meaning in a way that traditional advertising just doesn't. This podcast is co-produced by Brand Storytelling, bringing you the latest news, trends, and insights in branded content with top of industry events and in-depth industry coverage online. Brand Storytelling encourages a higher level of collaboration amongst advertisers, agencies, media partners, and creators in pursuit of a richer media environment. For more of the latest in the world of branded content or to explore event offerings, visit brandstorytelling.tv today. On today's episode, something a little different. I moved from the interviewer's chair to the interviewees. My interviewer is Sarah Panous, who hosts and publishes the podcast Marketing with Empathy, which you all should subscribe to if you've enjoyed this show. Sarah helps brands drive results through empathy plus data-driven brand storytelling strategies. And in this episode, we talk about how documentary filmmaking can help brands tell better and more authentic stories. I hope you enjoy our discussion and check out Sarah's show. Hi, my name is Sarah Panous. I've spent the last two decades driving digital content for billion dollar brands. Now I help content marketers build winning brand storytelling strategies and reduce feelings of overwhelm and confusion. Join me as we discuss strategy, creativity, confidence, and building a better connection with your audience. Think of this as a creative content marketing jam session mixed with chicken soup for the soul. This is the Marketing with Empathy podcast. Video storytelling. You know it drives stronger engagements. You're probably doing some kind of video already, but how do you take it to the next level? And when should you use video? What should your brand be thinking about when acting as a publisher and a filmmaker? And how the heck do you find great stories, right? What are the best practices for emotional filmmaking and partnering directly with filmmakers? We're going to dig into all of this in today's episode, folks, because you are in for a treat. My guest is an Emmy and James Beard award-winning filmmaker that puts the power of visual storytelling to work for global brands and causes. He works with cause and content marketers to uncover first-person narratives that reveal core purpose and values in an authentic, empathic, and often cinematic manner. His work for clients like Starbucks, Feeding America, Food Network, and the New York Times have garnered him more than 25 million views online, and his feature-length documentary, The Starfish Throwers, was named Most Heartwarming Film of the Year by the Huffington Post. He is none other than Jesse Raisler, the founder and creative director at Credo Nonfiction. Welcome to the show, Jesse. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So we have never met, but we've worked on projects together in our past life. And so um, you really helped create some amazing mini documentary style branded videos for a client of mine last year that were so well done and they continue to this day to drive strong results for the brand. And we're both based in Minnesota. So, you know, we just got this hotbed of talent here in the Midwest that we can tap into. Absolutely. 
So I'd love to just dig right in with you because we have a lot of stuff we want to get through. And I would like to first know a little bit more about how you became so good at video storytelling and ended up creating your own agency. Like, what's your backstory? Sure. So I actually come out of journalism school here at the University of Minnesota, followed the journalism path, was really interested in documentary storytelling. And then my first internship out of journalism school was at Reuters, Thomson Reuters here actually in Minnesota. And from there, I just, I was sort of shown this whole world of how business communication could utilize the skills of journalism and filmmaking. And from there, met the owner of a small agency that was had Thompson Reuters as a client, sort of cut my chumps there on, you know, a lot of business communication. Video-wise, meanwhile, was making my own documentary films just as an independent filmmaker. And I found a lot of cross-pollination between those two, going out and telling stories that I was passionate about and then bringing some of the, some of the tenets of filmmaking and the doc filmmaker to business communications as it related to video. And just sort of over time really specialized and found a niche there doing, you know, very cinematic, nonfiction, filmmaking, storytelling uh, to put to use to business purposes. And, and from there, started an agency with a few other partners that was a little bit more traditional, marketing and advertising. I was running the, the video side of things. And then ultimately, after my feature film launched, we won the, the James Beard Award, used that as a springboard to really specialize and build a company all about filmmaking um, and storytelling for brands. So that's our, we ended up with Credo Nonfiction just about three and a half years ago. Mm, awesome. And you are such a wealth of information that I cannot wait to dig in. Because mm-hmm. when we were chatting about topics that you could cover during this discussion, you were basically like, yep, I can talk about that. Yep, I can talk about that. Like the, you had just so many amazing ideas and I think they're all super valuable. So we're going to do our best to cover them all for you today, folks. So buckle up. We're about to dig into everything you need to know related to brands being publishers and filmmakers. Okay. So you're ready, Jesse? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So my first question is, when should brands use video and when shouldn't they use video? Yeah, this is a great one. I mean, I've I've seen a beautiful use of video and then I've seen video where it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe a different medium might have served, served better there. And I usually start with a couple of things. You know, I think what video is amazing at is telling emotional stories and, and humanizing a brand. So that's the first thing I'm thinking about is, you know, when I'm looking at a story, there are certain components of it that go like, okay, this, you know, if we could tell this in the subject's own words and we can use all the tools of filmmaking, of video making, the visual, the sound, the music, all these things, if the story has any sort of emotional component, that's usually a good reason to go like, you know what, I think this is worth video. And then, you know, along with the emotionality is like visual. I'm always like, is this story visual? That's the biggest thing when thinking about, does this belong as video or maybe this is better as an audio story or as, you know, a written story. I mean, I think all of those mediums have their place. So really it's about, is there something emotionally, are we trying to convey, you know, core purpose? One of the things might be, if there's any fans of Simon Sinek, you know, the idea of starting with why or uh, conveying core purpose, that's where I think real stories of real people told through motion picture can really do what what no other medium can. Mm, yeah, that's a nice way to summarize it. And every single content marketer 
working at a brand, I know, is always thinking through this balance of then how do you stay true to who the brand is without sounding too salesy or going too far the other direction and feeling like you're not talking about the brand at all, maybe getting some heat from you know senior leaders of like, well, this isn't about us enough, you know? So mm-hmm. as a filmmaker who works with brands, like how do you think about authenticity and storytelling? Right. Well, I, I think authenticity, it's really about finding you know, a real story and then staying true to it and developing around that story, that's where you get to be creative with the format of how you're going to tell it and can have the biggest impact. You know, we always let our subjects tell their story in their own words to maximize authenticity. And then it's our job to really think about the most compelling way to bring that to life visually or cinematically. And I think to your point about, you know, there's this danger, I think we've all seen quote unquote branded content, which is supposed to be a story or a film, but ends up being just a long form commercial in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side of the coin, there's great stories, but how does it connect back to the brand? And I think it's really looking closely at purpose and values and making sure you're finding a story that connects directly to those things. I'm a huge fan of Amanda Brinkman and Deluxe, another Minnesota company, and she's Mm. created an entire TV series around the core purpose of what Deluxe does, helping small businesses. And it ends up being, you know, a small business makeover show where her and a team of, you know, experts come in and, and, and do these makeovers on small businesses. And it's like, it's completely about these small businesses and helping them get to the next level. But the brand is so embedded in the DNA mm-hmm. of that content that it's it's entertaining, but it's never, it's never far from the brand either. So looking for ways like that, where you can find stories that are directly connected to core purpose. Mm-hmm. So I know one of the questions is always like, how do you find great stories? What tips do you have for my audience that's listening and how to find a great story? Yeah, this is huge. And I think this is where, for me, the old journalism skills really come into play. You know, it's about, you know, knowing where to look and then just making a ton of calls, you know, lots of emails, lots of vetting, lots of phone interviews, you know, before you decide, you know, which story is really the, the best fit. I think with um, larger companies, especially the best place to start is often your customers and, you know, really tapping into the passion conversations that are happening online, whether it's forums or groups um, online and and finding a, a story within those communities that really stands out as a story, but then also you go like, okay, that really connects to what we do. And in a lot of the, the branded content we're doing, we're often cast, we would call it casting, you know, finding the right story and the right person who's going to carry a a video or a film, you know, finding something where we can cast that person, the customer in the protagonist role or the hero role. And then the brand ends up playing this sort of supporting player role that helps the customer achieve their goal or reach their purpose. You know, the content that we did together is a great example of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Another one, you know, we, a few years ago back that I, I love to to watch and look back at was actually for Toys R Us and it was part of their cause, you know, their giving campaign was for something called the Hamilton Education Program. Hamilton, the Broadway musical, started this program where they were embedding in schools and the, the students would learn the curriculum and then they would actually get to write and perform a piece and and go see the musical, um, in this case, actually on Broadway. And so these kids had a, an opportunity to perform the piece that they wrote on a Broadway stage right before, you know, the actual Hamilton show went on. And so it's like, it's one thing to tell people about the program that you're supporting, but what if we could actually show the story 
of, you know, a student that went through this program and, and it literally changed their life. And that's what we ended up doing. So I think that's, you know, the example of looking where is your program or where you're giving or your service or your product having the biggest impact and then telling the story of how their life is impacted by that. Yes. And another great place, you know, not just customers, but, you know, for larger companies, we did this for Ecolab is, you know, your workforce or your, your sales reps. So, you know, they're the ones that are out there talking to customers every day. So for sure, they're going to have some anecdotal stories that you can then do the legwork and follow up on and find out more. And it's usually a goldmine of stories there. And then something we also do that way when we're working with employees of company to find those stories is then you can go and create two versions of a story where, you know, one is for an external audience where you're focusing on the customer is sort of the protagonist and hero. And then it's not hard at all to just, you know, change a little bit of the storytelling for an internal version that's going to increase employee engagement where the employee is actually the hero who's servicing your customer. So that's just a, those are great places to look. And then it's also kind of nice to keep that in mind. You can also customize your content just slightly depending on who the audience is. And you can be thinking about multiple audiences that way. Yes, I agree. And I've had so much luck with that too, with your owner base and your employee base, because there's just, it's just a goldmine. And, and if you have a loyalty program, tapping into that to find yeah. these people. And if you don't have a loyalty program, send an email, send an email out to your database, like looking for people to share, sure. you know, specific types of things you're curious about and you will get responses and you will find people. But I agree like frontline, especially if you have a sales organization, they're going to have great stories of, oh yeah, I have this one customer who, you know, and then you can go down that path there. Those were great. So you've also done a lot of work with documentary film in the cause and content marketing space. Can you walk us through a couple of your favorite brand projects and explain what made them so great? You just shared a couple of them. Are there any other ones you want to plug? Yeah, we love working. We work directly with brands and nonprofits. You know, working with nonprofits is, is really great. But a lot of times, too, working with brands or brand foundations who are partnering with a nonprofit or have created their own giving campaign or cause campaign. Another one that comes to mind that we recently finished up is a cause campaign for Nature Valley, you know, Nature Valley Granola Bar is part of General, the General Mills family of brands. Mm -hmm. So partnering with them and then Martin Williams, another agency here locally, they have a campaign called 10,000 Miles. And it's, it's such a cool thing. They're partnering with National Parks Foundation to find parks that either trails over time become overgrown or, or they want to increase trail access. So, you know, over a period of time, Nature Valley says we're going to donate a few million dollars to help open up 10,000 miles of hiking trails, either reopen old trails or open up new trails. And so this effort was focused in a few different parks. You know, it's one thing to say we're doing this and, and here's the park, but it's another thing to find stories of people who are getting access to those parks and who are finding being completely restored by spending time in nature or introducing young people who haven't had access to parks like to a new place. And so we set out to find stories of people who were who were having those experiences in these parks where they were focusing the trail efforts. And so the story some all of a sudden it's humanized. There's like a real anecdotal story, a real person that you can go like, wow, this is really changing lives. And here's one example. And then you can sort of think of, you know, all the other people that are going to be impacted by this. Mm -hmm. That's a recent example that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to get out and, and film. Oh, absolutely. And, that, and what a great way to tie back to like their 
purpose and mission of probably I'm, I'm guessing I don't know a ton about Nature Valley's like purpose and mission, but healthy, active, you know, it supports mm-hmm. a healthy lifestyle. I'm guessing it's something like that, right? And so it ties in. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. And getting people to enjoy the outdoors, getting outside. Yep. Well, stocking you, you know, you're well provisioned for your hike. Yes, yes. Oh, that's a great example. Thanks. I haven't. I uh, and is that coming out soon? Uh, yeah. So little bits and pieces have been released already. We've got some longer form stuff. That's still in the hopper, so hopefully soon. But a lot of it's coming out through their their Instagram. Okay, cool. So for my listeners, guys, I'll track down links for all this stuff and I'll add it to the show notes. You guys can take a look for any examples that Jesse will be sharing with us and you can find those at kindredspeak.com slash podcast. Okay, so... Next question for you then, Jesse, is about music and sound design and cinematography. So they're all really powerful components of emotional filmmaking and really resonating, you know, and deeply connecting with your audience. And I'm obsessed with music. It has such a beautiful ability to immediately reach into like the heart and make you feel something, right? Like, and and I think about music and I have like such a simple example of how I just see music always playing out for me and is like when you ever watch the show America's Got Talent? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, they have, you know, there's the tryouts for I love the show. My family, we all watch it every every time it's out. We just love rooting for these people. But you watch the tryouts, right? And you have a person walks out onto the stage and they just look like a normal person. And you're like, "Mm, what are they going to do? And it turns out they're a singer, right? Let's use that as an example. And they suck you in by, you know, the show is sharing something, you know, about this person, right? And they're getting you to start to feel something for this person or try to put yourself in their shoes a little bit. And then the person opens their mouth and they freaking sing like an angel. (laughs) And (laughs) it always gets me. And it's so, and I'm always like, I don't cry when I hear them talking about their story. But suddenly when that story is combined with music, I just feel like their pain or their happiness or their struggle go through and then bam, I'm crying every every single time. Yep. And I'm like, that yep. is what's so powerful about music. It's like this person just told us these things, but now they sang it. And when they sang it, I cried, you know? And so that's why I'm very obsessed with like the power of music. And I think music selection is really best left to the sound experts because you know, as you know, and your team, like you help narrow things down for the brand. You can save a ton of time on like, what's the right music for the mood yeah. and identifying. I just think identifying the right music is a really special gift that people who do it are really good at. So what should brands think about with music and sound design or cinematography to help their videos more emotionally connect with their audiences? Sure. Well, first of all, I, I could not agree with you more. I am a huge music guy. And actually, I was a musician before I became a filmmaker. And that was part oh. of like me falling in love with filmmaking is like, I also dug photography. And it's like, wow, there's this medium that brings all these things together. You know, and I think it's that synergy, you know, that end product being greater than the sum of all the parts. Because once you have the cinematography and the sound design and the music, especially mm-hmm. all these things working together. I mean, there have been studies on this, that that lights up a different part of your brain than the brochure, the written word, like even like the explainer videos, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, you're, it's, it's working on a different level. And, and, and when you get immersed in a piece of filmmaking or storytelling like that, it makes you feel something in a way that nothing else does. And I think it was Maya Angelou who, you know, said it so well, where she's like, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And I think 
that is the real power of this medium of cinema. And yeah, I think music is huge. You know, I, before we go out into the field and capture a story, I'm listening to music in advance and going like, here's the mood, here's the tone. And when I'm making, you know, certain pieces where it is really, we're going for a very specific mood, you know, I'll play that track for the crew and be like, here's this, feel this, this is what we want to convey and how we're capturing this, you know, for letting the cinematography take a cue from the music even. I know there are filmmakers that even will do that on set where they will be listening to the music in headphones as people are conveying the lines of dialogue more in the narrative side, but it goes to show creating that mood usually starts with the music. And so I agree, you know, there are people that have spent so much time just on this aspect and know all of the places you can go to find amazing music for your project. Obviously creating original music is also an option. I do love knowing in advance though, pretty close to what that final piece of music is going to be so that you can Mm -hmm. use that as a tone setter and and a mood setter. So I think these are all things to think about before you're even going into into production and going on set and capturing that story. So I'm glad you, you bring that up. It's really, really, it just, it works on a subliminal level for yes. a lot of people. And that's when it's working great, right? Is when it's not calling attention to itself. It's just supporting whatever your emotional through line, your emotional theme of the story is, it should be in support of that. And it should just make you feel what that story is to an even greater level mm-hmm. you know it should so it, it shouldn't take you away from it and it shouldn't call attention to itself but it should be working on that subliminal level to to have that emotional impact that you're looking to convey definitely and it's really interesting how you describe you know thinking of the music up front my practice it's been always you go through you think of the story you know the people and everything and then the music is always later and so I like that idea of prioritizing them, just bumping up music in terms of your planning process gets really part of that flow together. I think that's a great idea. Definitely. Are you looking for an email marketing tool that's intuitive, easy to use, and has beautiful plug and play templates? Then you need Flowdesk. I use Flowdesk for my business newsletter emails and I've recorded it to other businesses and brands and it is amazing, folks. Get 50% off your Flowdesk subscription using my exclusive link at kindredspeak.com backslash Flowdesk and that's spelled F-L-O-D-E-S-K. What's for dinner? If you're like me, you're super busy, and the last thing you want to do is think about what's for dinner, let alone having to run to the store to buy the missing ingredients to pull it all together. Enter HelloFresh. I've been using this service for years, and it's a great way to bring variety into my meal plans, and it teaches me new ways to prepare food, too. First-time users can get $40 off fresh ingredients and delicious recipes using my discount code, Go to kindredspeak.com backslash HelloFresh to score a huge discount on next week's groceries. Yeah. Okay. So your company works with a lot of large brands who are throwing their hat in the ring as their own publishers and filmmakers. And there's just so much online competition right now, you know, for people's attention that we're all dealing with. And as I'm talking to you, the listener right now, your branded content is appearing 
right next to media outlets and TikTok videos and your friend's content. And I don't say that to discourage anyone by any means, but it should inspire you to level up your brand storytelling. And really, that is why I'm so passionate about how you think about your empathy filter with your brand storytelling, because that is what helps it break through and resonate and connect with your target audience. And so, Jesse, from your experience, what do you think makes good branded video? Man, well, there's a lot that goes into, you know, the partnership that happens. I mean, I think it's, you know, a lot of brands are building out internal teams. On my podcast, Content That Moves, we were talking to the, her, her title is the head of brand journalism at HP. So A, amazing. They've got, you know, a brand journalism department and that's, that's a thing that's happening in a lot of big companies. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I think oftentimes, you know, working with, whether if you're making a film, working with a, a filmmaking team, a lot of that pre-research uh, work can happen internally at the brand or in partnership. And I think it's just finding the right team that has made some films, maybe somebody who isn't only making marketing and advertising, because I think it is a different skill set and process. There's definitely a lot of overlap there. But finding the right team for this type of story you want to tell, I think, is is huge. Mm-hmm. And like, what mistakes do you see brands making that hurt their results? Um, you know, I think it is where you start out with this idea, like we're going to do editorial content and then it just, it creeps into the marketing and sales uh, Mm -hmm. arena. I've seen that that so many times and it's hard not to, right? Because things are measured Mm -hmm. and they, I think a lot of it is how you measure things. And I I think it depends, you know, I've seen complementary things happening out of a brand team versus like a product marketing team. And sometimes there's overlap and synergy, but I think sometimes the content that's working on behalf of just brand awareness or brand affinity really needs to do something differently than, you know, the product sales content. And so I think it's just knowing which it is and then sort of trying to keep some integrity and staying, staying true to those, those objectives that you set early on. Mm -hmm. I find too, since I was in corporate America for 20 years, I know that discussion well. And I think one of the big things that helped was don't expect every single piece of content to do everything in your funnel. And so like you said, you got to figure out what is this supporting? What is this doing? And from a brand storytelling perspective, usually that's, you know, upper funnel generally um, or mid funnel and you're getting, you're starting that conversation, you're creating that relationship. And then it can, what does that, what does that then drive to? Like what they watch that and then what do they get? Are they then retargeted with an ad? Are they then serve something else? Like, is there a cut down on something else to learn more? Like, I think that's the big key for brands is to not put so much pressure on this one video that it has to do everything. Cause then that's, I find when all the brand, you know, it ends up sounding more like an ad than it does the story that you originally intended. So that's one of my tips in terms of helping kind of manage those internal expectations is, is really being clear about this. Isn't the only thing that, that my, our customer is going to also see all these other things. And this is how they're going to see that this is our plan. Absolutely. And so, Jesse, like, what are best practices for brands partnering directly with filmmakers? Yeah, so I've seen so many great collaborations happen, you know, directly between a brand and and a filmmaker, especially, you know, more in recent years as brands are developing their own internal content teams and even creating platforms for that content to live. You know, of course, you have different ways that you're going to distribute that content among own earned and and paid media. But I think as brands build out those platforms, it's easier for them to collaborate directly with a filmmaker because maybe there's not the same 
type of traditional commercial like ad spend. Like we're not just making the 30 second or 60 second commercial anymore. We're doing something more long form and hopefully there's multimedia and it's going to live a lot of different places. So I think those type of, of programs where it's not just about the 30 or 60 second commercial can be great for a brand to go, you know, right to a filmmaker. And I think, you know, when, when they do that, I think it's important to look for, you know, a director or a team that has created film and, and, and television purely for an editorial audience without any brand integration or has made feature films, you know, someone who has only done marketing and advertising video content might not have the same sensibilities or skill set as, as a, a team that's done feature films or television. Conversely, if you're working with someone who's never done anything with a brand integration or, or brand funding, that can be tricky too. So I think a team that has a little bit of experience on, on both sides of that coin can be really, really helpful uh, because you do want to keep the business objective top of mind as well. And a lot of that comes with the stories that you select to tell. I think those are some some good things to in terms of like finding a partner. And then once you're working together, you know, like any good partnership, it's just about having those clear objectives up front, you know, making sure you know what your measurement is, like how are you going to measure success? And then just really communicating clearly. And once you once you have that story and everybody's on the same page, then like let the film team like do what they do best and they're gonna like surprise you in a way that hopefully will you know make the content even that much more consumable shareable have the emotional impact that you're looking for Mm -hmm. I would just add to that too from my experience inside at corporate is especially if this is new for your brand or if you feel like it's going to be outside some people's comfort zones is identifying who who are your main decision makers internally and really walking them through the process up front and getting aligned on the storyboard outline is huge. So this is the storyboard outline. This is the tone. This is how it's going to come and this is how our brand will be shown or included. And just knowing all of that up front before the shoot even happens, I find that to be so helpful at reducing, you know, feedback after the shoot's already happened, yeah. which is what you don't want because the shoot's done. So, so that's just my other tip I would add on to that too, of just, you know, managing your internal stakeholders along the way and upfront and early and getting them on board so that you, they're an ally in this and they're not going to be someone who's going to be, you know, challenging and questioning it at the end. Great, great advice. Yes. So switching gears then a little, you're super creative. I like to talk to my audience here about just, you know, inspiration and how we can all just be more creative ourselves too. I'm curious, where are you finding creative inspiration from these days? Yeah. So, I mean, being a documentary filmmaker, of course I watch documentaries, but more than that, like I love watching narrative cinema and bringing a lot of those techniques from fictional movies to nonfiction projects. And I think that's where you get that immersiveness in nonfiction that you don't get in a typical, you know, television journalism or video journalism. So I love looking at movies and, and breaking them down and, and looking at, you know, really the craft of cinema and how can we bring those things to these real stories of real people. So I have a lot of fun with that. You know, there's a lot of great audio storytelling happening, you know, podcasting is this is entering this golden era. So there are things there that can be brought to motion picture making as well, like a lot of the sound designer or how you're telling a story, maybe in a nonlinear fashion. Um, and then I also read a lot of, I love reading nonfiction, historical nonfiction, and thinking about how could you bring this story to life in a really visual way. So it's kind of, you know, looking at other art forms, like even old books of 
black and white photography or, or old paintings and looking at how they're, you know, using light. I love looking at different art forms and thinking like, what can cinema or documentary filmmaking take from this other art form? So I get a, mm. I get a big kick out of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, those, those are great. All right. And now it's time for my hot seat question. Uh, I sure. ask everybody, I ask everyone this, will you please walk us through a mistake that you've made in your career to date and what you learned from it? Yeah, you know, there's one thing when I when I think back, there's one thing that I kind of it, it happened a few times. I think earlier in my career, like you know, I was so excited about you know the craft of filmmaking and and you know bringing bringing that to business objectives. And I think I can think of a handful of cases where I think I put like the purity and the artistic integrity of of filmmaking in front of a business objective, or or there was a moment where you know I think could have done better with just like the collaboration of aspect of finding that balance, right. Of like, we're making something that's going to move people, but we also have to tie it directly back to a specific business objective. And I think there's, you know, one or two relationships that were harmed, you know, early on, whereas like, this is, this is what it is. And we really need to, to keep this exactly as it is. And so I think the, the hard part is like, especially when you're, when you're creating something like, like a film, you have to be emotionally attached and invested to what you're creating. But then when you're fine tuning it, I think you have to step back and go like, okay, this was created for this objective. Let's be super open to making it what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I've really learned that, you know, over the years. And I think the priority is, has switched to the relationship for me and, and less about being so pristine about an artistic purity, I think it's still important, but I think it's also about finding a balance. So I think that's one mm-hmm. thing that was a theme early on in my career that I think I've definitely found a better balance. Definitely. That, that's a good one. And it's 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 common, right? I, I hear that for sure. And I think that that helps improve some stigma that I think still exists in some brands where they think brand storytelling is fluff, right? And so yeah. as, as as we can prove it's not, and there's so many stats and results and things that show how it does connect and drive those actions that you need for your brand. But it is all about tying it back to that company's priorities and objectives to prove that out. And then that's like the easiest and quickest way to disprove anyone who might think that. Totally. It's like the age old art versus commerce, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. it has to be art so that people will want to watch it and engage with it. But at the end of the day, it's also commerce. So it's like finding that balance in there. Mm -hmm. And there is, there's room. There's definitely room for both. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's a good one. All right. Before I get to the final bit, is there anything else I should ask you about, but I haven't yet? So I think we should talk about distribution. Okay. If you're making stories and making film, this is a huge thing because I've seen it where you know, a brand is first wading into this kind of thing and they find a great story and they spend all this money on production and creating the story. And then it goes on their YouTube page and it underwhelms mm-hmm. huge. And it's not the story's fault. It's not the filmmaking's fault. It's because there wasn't enough thought and strategy and frankly, resources, dollars put to the distribution aspect. And I think it's a spectrum and like every brand has different um, viewership on their own platform, especially, I mean, there are brands that have been doing this for years, like Red Bull and Patagonia, and they've got their own studios and their platforms and people come to them Mm -hmm. for content. Like they've, 
they've developed it and they've done beautifully at it. But if you're new to it, you probably don't have that audience and people aren't thinking of you in that way. You really need to invest on how are we going to get this seen by the right people? And I think that's always a mix of different strategies, mm -hmm. but I think that is a skill set. I've recently been partnering with someone who is just amazing at this and he's built his business just on the distribution aspect. Um, and that is Brian Newman. His company is subgenre and he's out of New York and he's helped build the content programs. People love at Patagonia, Yeti coolers, REI co-op. And he's really, he's narrowed it down. And, and especially in the film world, you want to be thinking about, you know, are we doing film festivals? Are we going to get this uh, Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or what is that distribution plan? So I think that's so important to be thinking of right away up front. Where is this going to live? How are we going to make sure the people that we want to see see this? Because if you're going to invest and make this beautiful piece of content, the worst thing is if you make it and it goes up there and nobody sees it. So I think that's a crucial part of the conversation too. Definitely. Because like I was saying in the beginning, online space is so competitive. So you have to be able to break through. And there are creative ways you can do it too, where if you don't have huge budgets, you can get scrappy in terms of how do you cross promote? Maybe there's other partners who you can tap into that you're company works with and they could help scale through, you know, their audience and their network. But I'm always a huge component that, you know, one piece of content should not live in one place alone. You need to cross promote the heck out of it across all your own channels and then leverage your external partners as much as you can. So I agree because just because you build it doesn't mean they're going to watch it. You need to get through and break through that wall of clutter that is online to make sure that people are seeing it. And like you said, People might not be even thinking of you as like a storyteller in this topic and to get to share that with them and open up with them and so that they can see it. So I'm glad you brought that up. It is a very, very, very important part is the distribution. And I think there are a myriad of ways that you can do it, whether you're starting out or if you have huge budgets. And I've managed anything from $1,500 a month budgets up to $10 million budgets. And there is varying scales of what you can do. Just like you said, too, a great freeway is tapping into your employees and tapping into your owner's base, too, to amplify and share. You know, that word of mouth factor is really really huge too. If you're finding that you're on the scrappier end of budgets, uh, that's a way to get started. That's great. All right. So I end each episode with one thing my listeners can implement right away. So what's the biggest takeaway or tip you want people to do after this episode ends? You know, I think it's the the story digging. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. The barrier for entry is like non-existent. There's nothing stopping anyone from picking up the phone, talking to, you know, whether it's your, your colleagues, you know, your sales force, your employees going online, like seeing what your customers are doing and, and just starting to look for those great stories. You don't have to know right away what, what you're going to produce or what you're going to create, but just start collecting, just, you know, start a, a doc uh, of some kind of, even a, a Google doc you can share with colleagues and just start throwing like interesting anecdotes you hear in there and just start building that repository. Because then when you go like, okay, we know we want to make a, a film, we want to make a video, we want to tell an audio story. You have that repository you can go back to and go like, oh, there was this great story that we never really found a use for. And wouldn't that be perfect for X? So I'd say just start digging, start finding those stories. Excellent. Okay. So how can people connect with you and find you online? Like where should we send them? Sure. So credononfiction.com. We've got all of our work up there, our podcast as well, which I think is a lot of synergy with, with yours. Mm -hmm. I think your listeners would, would like it and vice versa. So I think that would be a great place to send people. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much. See, folks, I told you we were going to cover a lot in a shorter period of time. So we did it, Jesse. Good job, man. <laughs> packed it, packed it we in. packed it in. So thank you so much for joining uh, and coming on. I know this is going to be tremendously helpful for my listeners. Yeah, my pleasure. High fives for finishing another episode. When faced with an obstacle, you're the type of person who gets better instead of bitter. I hope you feel creatively inspired and invite you to check back often for more goodness from me and my guest. If you want more actionable advice and inspiration, head over to kindredspeak.com for show notes, all discount codes from today's episode, and to sign up for my newsletter. Subscribe now to the Marketing with Empathy podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcast. And if you'd be so kind, will you please leave me a review? This helps my podcast get noticed by others. Keep smiling. To learn more about how we approach brand storytelling at Credo Nonfiction, visit credononfiction.com. And to learn more about how Sarah approaches brand storytelling, visit kindredspeak.com. Join us next time when I'll be chatting with Colleen Coleman of the National Forest Foundation about brand and nonprofit partnerships and how these collaborations often result in some of the most engaging, purpose-driven content being created today.